casually, he just said, would you like to go out for dinner? Let's go out. And I literally ran across the dance floor to my friends. I'm like, give me a pen, give me a pen. Somebody got to be a pen. He wants my number. Give me a pen. I still have that piece of paper. And on the one side, it's the message from the Royal International Hotel. And on the back, it says, Julie Halford, 70650. Welcome to Equal Parts, a series of true love stories told by the couples themselves. Today's tale is one of coincidences and giddy young lovers. But before we get into their story, I want to quickly tell you about another podcast I've been working on. It's called Hope This Finds Me Well, and it's about writing to our future selves and reflecting on our past selves. I'm one of three hosts for the show, and we speak to people who have recently received a letter they sent to themselves years before to ask if life turned out as they expected. I have so much more I want to say about this show, but I'll be sharing a full episode with you soon. And there's a little teaser at the end of today's episode, so keep listening past the credits. Now, let's get to our couple for today. Brought together by chance and mischief, Graham and Jules learned just how small the world is, despite growing up on opposite sides of it. Quick heads up, there is one minor swear in this story. Hello, my name is Graham. I was born in 1964, and I met Julie in 1986. So my name's Jules and I'm married to Graham and we live in Hitchin. We've been married for 34 years and I, I met Julie on the other side of the world even though it turned out she lived in the same street as me. I would describe Graham as a dreamer. Big ideas, big adventures, just fearless. Just the absolute opposite to me. She's very funny. I think she's one of the funniest people I've ever met. She's lovely. Julie is lovely. When we met, that was the first thing. He was just like a lightning bolt. I was 17 and very quiet, very shy, very small town. And from the minute he looked at me, it was like he was holding up a little mirror to say, this is who I see. Changed my own opinion of myself, really, weirdly, because I'd always always thought I was shy and quiet and invisible, and uh, no, I wasn't. I like to dramatise it and say, we met at a wedding, I gate-crashed. At the age of 18, my parents emigrated to New Zealand, and when I was 21, they came home, and I stayed, because I liked it there. And I was living in digs in a place called Whangarei, New Zealand. And I was a pipe fitter on an oil refinery construction site. And most of my friends, similar age to me, worked on the site. And I had like really good friends like Kevin Hibbert and uh, Cockney Dave. But you kind of, anyone who was a Brit on the site, you kind of knew. And there was a bloke called Tony Evans who was from Essex. And Tony was getting married. So we were all going to the wedding, but none of us had invitations. But we went to the church. We didn't just go to the nighttime, but we went to the church and the service. My friend Loretta and I had been invited to a wedding reception, a friend's wedding reception. It was the first time going out to something like that. I was only 17. It was very exciting. Felt like a grown-up. Rushed out and bought this gorgeous red dress and got all dressed up. And it was just the most exciting day we took all day to get ready and i see a girl in a red dress blonde 
beautiful girl in a red dress on the dance floor with her friend Loretta, who was in a blue dress. And I said to Kevin, we're going to dance with those two. You're taking the one in the blue. I'm going to dance with the one in the red dress. Loretta was like, oh, God, you know, (laughs) who are these guys? And uh, clearly didn't fancy the one that she was stuck with, literally stuck with. And she was this beautiful girl. And I remember thinking they're both going to want to dance with Loretta. I, I went over and started dancing with her and introduced myself. So we had a bit of a bit of a groove and it was all very nice and he was super cute and was really smiley and then we got the cringe moment, the, mu- the music, <laughs> the slow song started. So we did the classic freeze on the dance floor, what do you do? So we kind of hung on to each other and swayed around for a little bit and did the awkward slow dance thing. <laughs> yeah, had a little bit of a kiss. Had our first kiss, and uh, I was like, wow, this guy's amazing. And then afterwards we got talking, and this was February the 22nd, 1986. I'm 21, she's 17, which did freak me out a little bit. It just it just couldn't couldn't get enough of each other to talking and talking and talking at 100 miles an hour, and he wanted to tell me so much about our adventures and what he'd like to do with his life and his ideas and... Yeah, just had so many big ideas and I was like just completely swept away with it all and we talked and talked and then just casually he just said, um, would you like to go out for dinner? Let's, let's, let's go out. Can I have your phone number? And I was like, uh, I was like oh, yeah, you know, try to act really, really casual. Yes, sir. Okay, just, just, just a minute. And she said, yeah, have you got a pen? And I said, no. And I literally ran across the dance floor to my friends. I'm like, give me a pen, give me a pen. Somebody got to be a pen. He wants my number. Give me a pen. And while she ran away to get a pen, I'm looking for a bit of paper. So I opened up my wallet and there was a note in the wallet that had a few weeks earlier, me and Hibbert had stayed in a hotel in Auckland and another mate of ours, James Rio, had wanted to contact us and he'd left a message for us at the reception. And it was the piece of paper with the message for Mr. Hibbert to call Mr. Rio. Got a pen, ran back and wrote as clearly my name and my number, as clearly as I could, so he had no way of not knowing how to get hold of me. I still have that piece of paper, and I've put it in a little plastic sleeve thing here. And on the one side, it's the message from the Royal International Hotel, and on the back, it says, Julie Halford, 70650. But... It turns out that although I thought that was the the first time I'd met her, I'd actually met her about an hour before, but didn't know. There were a lot of English guys outside, and they were decorating, shall we say, the wedding car. Tying tin cans on the back of this white Hillman Hunter and drawing on the side of the doors with lipstick and... It's not very tasteful, what we were doing. Anyway, we ran out of lipstick. I don't know where we'd got this lipstick from, but we'd run out. And two girls walked up. One cocky little guy sparks out. Excuse me, girls, can we have your lipstick? Trying to get us to join in or help out. And they basically told us to get lost or something. So we got all haughty and strutted off in our high heels and went into the room. And she was one of them, but I didn't know. And it was, to be fair, it was dark. So I didn't really see her properly until, you know, she was on the dance floor. But the crazy thing is, you know, I I said to her while we were chatting, 
And while I was falling for her, I said, well, whereabouts in town do you live? And she said, Tiki Punga. And I said, no way. I said, before my parents left and went back to Britain, we lived in Tiki Punga. I said, whereabouts? And she said, Tapa Crescent. And I said, we lived at 56 Tapa Crescent. She says, I live at 23. And so she, she came from the same street. And our house was right next to a, a public footpath. And Julie used to walk down that public footpath every day on the way to school. And my bedroom had stickers on the window from Piccadilly Radio in Manchester and Radio City in Liverpool. And she used to walk past that every day and go, I wonder what that's all about. We get to like the end of the evening. And she says, so you live in Otaika now? I said, yeah. She said, how are you getting home? I said, I'll probably just get a taxi because, you know, I'm drinking. I didn't bring a car. I didn't own a car back then. She said, well, my mate Loretta will give you a lift home. So, like, we'd already kissed, but we got a lift home in the back of Loretta's Mini. And as we drove out of the car park, I looked out the window and I turned to Julie and I went, oh, shit. And she said, what's the problem? And the bride and groom had left earlier and the car was still there. It wasn't Tony's car. Some perfectly innocent person had gone to somebody's wedding in a white Hillman Hunter. And I still to this day don't know whose car we did that to. Then the next day, I called her up on this number, 70650, which is one of the few phone numbers I can even remember. And we went out every night from then on till we got married. It was, a, it was like a crash, crash bang for both of us. It was just like, this is, this is it. No one for a split second ever, and because it was only 18 months later we were married, no one at any point said, no, are you sure? You know, you're a bit young. You know, no one ever needed to say that. We became instant friends and instant fancy. It was just easy. It was so easy. It was, we were so lucky. So lucky. So first date that we went on was in a Chinese restaurant. Little hometown, not a lot of restaurants, not a lot of choice. It was pouring with rain and my father was going to drop me off. And right at the last minute, a friend of mine pulled up in his car and he says, like, oh, I'll take you. Come on, jump in. And so this guy parked outside and he's like oh wait there, there you go and as we pulled up Graham was already at the door in the standing in the doorway waiting my friend was like is that him he was like yeah yeah and he's like he looks all right he looks good he's early I like it you know so uh ran and and it was that classic movie moment in running in the rain to the doorway and he was standing there and we kind of kind of crashed into each other a little bit and he was like oh hi you know it was like kind of a moment I just remember it was just a continuing to realise that considering we were from such different places, different families, different sort of backgrounds, that we had so much that we agreed on, you know, things we liked and things we wanted to do. And I was like, oh, you think that? Oh, I think that. You know, it was that kind of like finding someone that was just like your little buddy. It was just like we'd just never been apart. I do remember not long into the relationship, Graham rented a car. It was like, wow. My family, we'd never rented a car in our lives. We'd always had old, old bangers and, you know, cheap cars. And so we rented, he rented a car so we could go for a drive all around the 
the bays and I could show them all around my home and hometown. And it was like a scorching hot because February is hot in New Zealand. And we drove around and we've got lots of photos of us in the sunshine and the beach and driving. And it was a bit of a road trip day and some really cheesy pictures of, you know, lying on the grass you know, looking off into the distance and, you know, lots of... <laughs> just unbearably romantic. Just, 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 we, we just couldn't get enough of the romance, really. But the, the thing with the construction job is, they end. I knew I was going to be out of work and I'd already planned to come back home to Britain to visit my parents and then go back to New Zealand. I was always going back to New Zealand. And, you know, I said to Julie, I said, you know, I'm, I've got this trip that I'm going to do and I've got a couple of mates from England are flying out and we're going to have two weeks. We've rented a car. We're going to drive around Florida together, the three of us, and we're going to do that. And then I'm going to carry on to, to the UK and then I'll come home. But I, I don't know how long I'll be. I just, you know, when I've had enough, I'll, I'll come back because I didn't have any work commitments. I had this massive, redund- to me at my age, massive redundancy payment paid out. I was just going to go and have some fun, have this great holiday and then go back to New Zealand and then, you know, look for work and, and, and carry on. And the weird thing is, while we were dating, you know, from that February up until like the May, June, I think it was June, I took the flight. I would always refer to Julie as the lady in red because she was in this red dress when I met her. Well, I get to Britain and the Krista Berg song is out. And there's this song called The Lady in Red. And it's a big hit and it's on the radio all the time and it's on every jukebox in every pub I went and it was just, there was no escaping her. She was, you know, calling me back. We hadn't been together very long and he went away and came back with no money, no job, no car, nowhere to live, just came back to be with me. Very good for my ego, but was a, a, a very steep lesson in what love is. Because up until then, you know, it was just dating. And when that sort of thing started to be on the horizon, he was going to come back and going to go through some really tough times just so he could be back. It was like, wow, this is, this is what real love is like. This is, I, need to, I need to be sure. I can't let him come back if, he's, if I'm not sure. And Graham, while he was away, he wrote a letter. It was very old school. Wrote a letter every single day. I still have them. He wrote me songs. Uh, I have quite a few cassettes, cassettes of um, songs he'd written. Julie and Julianne, which is my name. <laughs> Julianne didn't know what I was looking for. Now I found you. Now I'm sure. That was the that was the the tune, and uh, I recorded it on a cassette. And we went out to a restaurant. And I told her I'd written a song about it. And I asked them to put it on, and they played it in the restaurant. <laughs> On the cassette. <laughs> so getting letters. So they would arrive in, in groups and we'd, uh, Graham will probably cringe at this, but I used to sit and read them with my mother. <laughs> we'd, we'd sit because they were really romantic. And, you know, when you write a letter every day, it's not all romance. A lot of it is everyday things. And I was really getting to know him. And I was getting to know him at home with his family. He was like in his own hometown. So he was talking about things and I was still learning about him. So... The, the romance and the connection didn't stop while he was away. So it was like, okay, I'm sure. I'm sure he's, he's the one. 
We used to go for days out in the car, and we used to go to the Bay of Islands, which is only about an hour north of Whangarei, and it's beautiful up there. And uh, in Paihia, which is kind of the main town in the Bay of Islands, there's a stone church right on the waterfront, which is very unusual in New Zealand. It's a very young country, and most of the most of the buildings in that area are made of wood. To find anything made of stone is very unusual, but there's a stone church. And we were walking past it one day, and I said to Julia, I said, be nice to get married in there. She said, oh, yeah. I said, yeah, but I bet you have to be, you know, a Christian <laughs> for a start, or, you know, a member of the parish or a regular attendee of the congregation. She said, yeah, so that wouldn't happen. I said, well, look, there's a number on the board here. When we get back home, because there's no mobiles back then, when we get back home, we'll, we'll, we'll give them a call and I'll just ask. Worst thing they can say is they'll say no. Now, I was brought up in Great Sankey near Warrington, and a lot of my friends were from Penketh, which is very close to Great Sankey, and just next to that is Widness. Anyway, I rang up the, this number, and the reverend answered the phone, and it was a lady from Widness. And I said, you know, we've seen the church and, you know, we'd like to get married there. And what are the chances? And she said, come and see me. So I went and saw her and we had a chat. And she said, yeah, fine. So not only did I go to the other side of the world to find the girl from the same street, we ended up getting married on the other side of the world by a lady who used to live within five miles from where I grew up. So it was all, it was all meant to be, wasn't it? Do I believe in fate? I don't, actually. I just think it was just a moment in in the chaos. I just think it was just luck. We've told the story a million times and people say, you know, it sounds like you're, you know, laying it on a bit thick, but this is exactly how it was. It was like, you know, this is how it happened. I have very bad photos to prove it. Equal Parts is produced by me, Maria Passingham. Thank you so much, Jules and Graham, for your time. And thanks also to Audio Network for the music you heard in this episode. Each episode of Equal Parts is transformed into a piece of art, and there's a gallery at equalpartspodcast.co.uk where you can view them all. This week, Polly Jules created a gorgeous illustration to capture Graham and Jules's story. You can also use the Equal Parts Podcast hashtag to find the artwork on socials and leave a comment. If you want to read or search for a specific moment in this story, you can find a transcript at equalpartspodcast.co.uk. Next time, an Insta connection, a forever love. We sent each other recordings, reading poems that we liked or extracts from novels. I thought he had a lovely voice and a very nice accent. We kind of decided to be on friendly terms because, well, it was complicated. He was there and I was in Brazil. And so we didn't really want to immediately make it romantic. All of a sudden, he turned the corner and there he was. And it felt so both strange and lovely that someone we'd only seen in videos was suddenly there. As I said, strange, but also lovely at the same time. I'm back. As promised, here's a little taste of what you can hear on my new podcast, Hope This Finds Me Well. This clip is from the first episode where we spoke to Marie about her family, finances and life purpose. The we there is me and my co-hosts Sophie and Steph. First, you'll hear Marie read the letter she sent to herself a couple of years ago. 
and then part of our conversation that followed. This is a letter from September 2nd, 2018. It says, Dear Future Me, This one is public, so I'm censoring a little bit. It's been almost 80 letters to date and over five years of writing to the future. There have been a lot of dreams lost and realized over the years. Heartache and love with the same man. Wonderful kids and beautiful grandkids. For the readers of these anonymous letters, a little about me, us. Today, I'm 50, but will be 51 in December. I'm a very young 50. Most people can't believe that or that I have three kids and six grandkids. So to me, I'm not old. But I do feel like I should know what I want with my life, and I don't. When this letter is received, our main goal is to have all of our debt paid, as well as an emergency fund. Next goal, a paid-for house. You have four years. Oh, and sex at 50 does exist. It's just different. Better. Yes. Is debt something you think about a lot? Is that why you want it in your letter? Or was that to like hold you accountable? Like, I need to be debt-free by this day, so I'm going to do it because I'm having it in writing. That was holding me accountable, but I we have passed many dates by because for the longest yeah. time, my husband was not on board. He thought we'll be in debt forever. There's no reason to do this. So it took, I honestly was on this journey since 2004. Wow. Wow. And I figured out how many years we need to be debt free. And that time came and went and came and went and came and went. Because as I'm trying to do things to get out of debt, my husband's buying a new car, buying a new motorcycle, you know. (laughs) Very different (laughs) ways of thinking there. Exactly. So so then in that case, you can't get out of debt because you're still you're just filling one hole with another. But we are debt free. (gasps) Congratulations. We are. I do have to say that it's my husband who helped us finally get to this point, because when he finally saw we might really do this. And as soon as Mm -hmm. he was able, it didn't happen until this year, as soon as he was able to start working overtime, he has been working 10, 20 hours overtime every single week for a few months. So if he wouldn't have done it, we still would have been debt free. It just would have been a few months later. But in order for him to see that future, he needed you for 16 years seeing it for him. Oh, yeah. Right. Oh, yeah. Which is really a summary of, I think, all hetero relationships in in my point of view. But like, yeah, yeah, I mean, like you saw the goal and we're encouraging him for 16 years and. It, and then he finally was like, oh, OK, I'm starting to see results. I will get on board. And I mean, yes. props to him, but also kudos to you for well, thank being you. able to keep that goal in your mind for 16 years. I think it also brings out another part of your letter, like in an even more sort of stark, um, know, starkness. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and, you know, you talk about being with the same man for a long time and, and sort of, you know, good times and bad times. Mm-hmm. It's really powerful that like that, you know, money is a huge issue in people's marriages. And that was not big enough for, you know, anything bad to happen to you guys. It's very sweet that there's obviously enough love there to to ride those mm. waves. That is absolutely true. And the money thing is one of the easier things we've been through. OK, <laughs> so. And we've been together for 31 years. Wow. So, wow. yeah. Congratulations. Thank you. We always say it's 
it feels like forever and it seems like just yesterday. Oh. Because we, he's the only man that I, to me, that I've ever been with and he feels the same way. But yet it wasn't 31 years of drudgery. It was, I mean, we did definitely have our ups and downs <laughs> and, yeah. and there were probably a few times we could have gotten a divorce, but um, we love each other. So yeah. we work through it. Oh my God. And uh, the sex at 50 is not so bad. <laughs> it is not. No, it's better because you, you, you know each other so well. You know the likes, mm-hmm. you know the dislikes. I mean, it's, it's all. It's mind, body, and soul. Want to hear the rest of Marie's wisdom? The full episode will be in your feed soon. And there's four other episodes out already if you want to binge the season so far. Just search for Hope This Finds Me Well in your podcast app or find the link in the show notes. 